Hello, everybody, and welcome to Indie Cult, the podcast where we discuss the struggles and learning experiences of independent artists and creative minds. I am George, and today I am joined by Richard Jones. Welcome, Richard Jones. Um, Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Uh, I was going to say affectionately known as Dick Jones, correct? Very correct. Yeah. So, Dick, you... You'd self-describe yourself as an explorer. What does that mean? Uh, basically, I never really found my one creative talent, but I'm a little, I'm a jack of all trades. I'm kind of good at a bunch of different things. So I dabble with like music production. Uh, I dabble with audio with you guys. Um, hopefully one day I'll be dabbling with like video production and film. You know, I do stuff with Photoshop. So I just kind of test the waters in every different area of the way you know, any way I can and try to just explore, like I said, try to find out how people do what they do. And your, and your newest, uh, exploration is, is music production, right? That's the thing that you've kind of jumped into recently. Yeah. Music production, uh, has definitely been the thing that I've been working with most recently. Um, you know, also doing some stuff with Adobe, but yeah, music production is where I've been trying to focus my efforts lately. And what made you uh, decide to try to try your hand at music production? Uh, well, it's been around me for seven years in the sense that uh, when I was in college, when I was a sophomore, one of my best friends picked up a machine and started making beats, started making music. And I would just sit in the room with him and rap, you know, all night long. Uh, then, you know, I met you. I met. Ev, I met John. Um, you guys started making music. Well, you guys were making music long before I came around. Um, and you guys were making film and you guys were scoring films. And it just pulled me that much deeper in that I decided I should jump in myself. Plus, you know, it's a very relaxing thing to do. Definitely. To clarify, I'm not really involved in the music <laughs> aspect of it, except for the film scores. But the, the actual uh, the music that, that Evan and, and John put together, I'm not really involved. Besides throwing in my two cents when they're making tracks, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's really good. Keep doing that, you know? <laughs> well, yeah, that but, used to be my involvement. Look at me now. <laughs> yeah, look at you now. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's really interesting. Um, and, and it's such a, it's such a, to me, it just seems like such a daunting, um, uh, I guess, a hobby or activity or, 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 or anything to get into just because of what goes into it. Like I watch Evan sometimes working on music and and I just can't even comprehend what he's doing um especially once you after the production you also get the 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 mixing element and that's just very 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 technical and just the the thought of getting into that is like so scary to me I mean now nah, it is it's still I've been doing this for like 16 months or something like that and I am a complete beginner still it's so intimidating and I, I have to take breaks because you know it's so overwhelming because it's not just oh i have a beat in my head let me tap it out like no you got to make that sound sound the way you want uh you have to make sure that it's timed the way you want it just finding the timing sometimes uh is a daunting task so yeah when we watch f he's doing what takes me two or three hours takes him like 15 minutes it's incredible yeah i mean the, i mean you got to start somewhere right i mean i think that, that that's one of the the things that like I like talking about on this podcast is that element of just go for it and see if if it calls to you or if you connect to it, um, no matter how daunting it is. I mean, you look at anybody who's who's more ahead than you that's been doing it longer than you. And obviously they started at a similar place where it was taking them hours to do something that now takes them, like you said, a few minutes. Have you have you like completed any any tracks fully? Any beats uh -oh. completely? I've completed a few tracks fully, but even now, just with my production, I have so much more fun just either making drum, uh, drum kits and making drum rhythms and making melodies. Now, I do have a few tracks completed, but they're far from the public coming out. Right. Well, what's your what what what's your goal with it? Is it just more of an outlet, a creative outlet, or or do you actually have intentions of of moving forward with music production? 
Uh, well, it's definitely first and foremost, a creative outlet for me, just a way yeah. for me to like, you know, put my mind out into the world. Um, but going forward, what I'd like to do is pair it with photography. I think we may have talked about this once before, but I have this idea of visual storytelling, but through still photography. And I think that so much of making that vision come to life would have to be creating a score that is unique to the photography that I would take, you know, to create that whole storyboard idea and then to create the sounds that go along with it. So that's my hope. Um, I mean, I love, you know, just creating beats to rap over for someone to sing over or something like that. But really what I want to do um, is kind of create scores for those photography stories that I'm talking about. Mm, so you want to add that visual element. I guess that's a natural progression to what you were saying um, earlier that you eventually want to get to to video uh, production as well. So do you eventually want to maybe, what about like music videos or something like that? Uh, music videos would be something great to do, but in that case, I definitely want to be more on the creative side of like building, um, not physically building the set, but designing the set, uh, designing the themes, coordinating the colors and things like that. And I know that, you know, it's kind of a far jump from music production, but in each type of uh, creative space, I see myself doing something a little bit different. Like if I created a beat, I don't think that I would want to create the music video to it because I'm probably not the one rapping over it. Right. I guess sometimes it's good to have that outside perspective to come in because when you're creating it, it's just so personal to you and you have like that connection. You Maybe you have a very rigid point of view of what you want for it, but then you have um, somebody else come in and 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 they kind of approach it and see it in a different light exactly um like you said like holding on to it and being so critical of myself and especially seeing other people who are ahead of me uh once i put my work out there i kind of don't want anything to do with it not in the sense that i want to distance myself from it but i want someone else to use it as a platform for their for them to build their you know, creative outlet from for them to build a song or to chop it up and make samples out of it for them to do whatever, you know, it's just to help somebody else with their creative process. Yeah. Yeah. I, I totally get that. I, to me, that kind of reminds me of, of my point of view when it comes to e editing, when it comes to a, a, a film, like I'm my own editor, Evan and I, we co-edit all our projects, but I think that having an outside editor, for example, um, brings a, a real benefit to the to the story because they they look at it objectively and they see the footage and they come up with a way to put it together the best way possible whereas me or Evan we're the ones that actually shot the footage we know exactly what everything is supposed to mean and sometimes you lose that objectivity and you lose the ability to look at it as someone who's never seen it for the first time you know like we put yeah. a scene together and we know what this scene means cuz we put the scene together we made we shot it but an editor will say, well, I don't know what this scene means when you cut it this way. But if you cut it this way, that's much more um, explanatory or, or clear to to uh, to an audience. No, or they might say, you know, this is a great scene that you have here, but it doesn't fit the story. We got to cut this scene. But when you shot that scene, maybe you really like it. You don't want to cut it because you're just so attached to it, you know. But having yeah. somebody else make that decision kind of... Uh, opens your eyes to a whole new perspective. Oh, truly, truly. Especially with the way I create, everything is based off the, what I call the first vision. So whatever my first thought about, you know, making that beat or making that melody um, is, is kind of what I build from. And I try to stay true to that. So like you said, when it, it takes somebody else to come in from the outside and show you what you have in front of you that you're not willing to see, which is like I said, once I put it out, it's out there. It's like, do what you want with that. Yeah. And then you also did um, you did some uh, behind the scenes for our latest short film, again, ties into your aspirations to do uh, to do uh, a videography and, and photography. What was that experience like? Did you have fun? Uh, honestly, that's probably my best photography experience in 10 years since I've started shooting, just because it was so such a lively set to be on. First of all, um, you know, everybody was like family. But it was also just the work ethic to photograph people at work doing stuff that they love, that they're passionate about it. And to also have that be my work in that same time. Uh, it, it was just an epic experience. Plus, you know, seeing the film, seeing how it played out and then seeing seeing how the film played out when you watch it and then seeing how it was made behind the scenes, you know, shot out a sequence. 
that uh, was the first time I got to experience something like that. So shooting the BTS was epic, epic yeah. to say the least. And you did a great job, man. Like those were some great Thank photos you. that that we didn't. I, I wish you were around to, uh, or at least I don't know if is that you weren't around or we didn't ask. I don't know what what the situation was, but I wish you were around for our previous uh, short films as well, because the the BTS uh, for the latest one, the crumbling, was was great. There was so many moments where, you know. I don't even know that stuff happened. Like I'm watching videos of conversations I have no recollection of. It's like so surreal. I'm just looking, I'm like, when the hell did we talk about this? Yeah. Cause yeah. it all just melts together and you forget. There's a, it's a great benefit having someone there. Uh, take and that's some, a great thing about pictures. BTS is that it's photography and videography. So you get kind of stills to set the tone of the movie, but you also just get, like you said, those conversations. Yeah. And I think another cool thing is that it showed uh, day after day, like you picked up on what is the right, what are the right moments to photograph and what are the right moments to video? Exactly. Yeah. And then, you know, th that, that just speaks to um, my belief of, of work, of learning from experience being the best way to learn things. It's Truly. just do it. And then, you know, you'll make mistakes, but eventually you'll get to, to the point where you want. Well, that's exactly how it is with music, too. Like, I mean, you don't have a choice but to do it. <laughs> There's not much learning you could do with music without actually participating, you know. I think it's for everything creative, man. I mean, after a certain point, uh, books can't teach you much, much more. Like, I've read I've read several books on, like, filmmaking and screenwriting. And after a certain point, they kind of become redundant. You know, it's like, yeah, this book is kind of saying what the last book said in other words or paraphrasing yeah. but essentially the, the message is the same you just gotta you just gotta start doing it and that's the best way to learn from it like we True. look at our first short film and, and we're like oh man like if we made that today it would have been way better not that it would have been like really good necessarily because i don't think we're at that stage where we're just like so amazing <laughs> but it would have been better than it was yeah i understand lucas uh school films are coming soon i believe Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it's spinning. <laughs> the new real, Lucas but... films, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> man, if I could sell that shit to Disney for three, uh, three billion, whew, trust me, man. Yeah, yeah <laughs> that's I the dream right there. Right. It's like, at what at what price will I sell out? Three million, three billion. Pfft, that that's the price. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you I hit me about, about two billion it. ago. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't take much right now. Um. You, another thing that you do that I think is really interesting is you're really you're a, you're a big sneakerhead, right? Yeah, yeah, I am. So, so why don't you tell me a little bit about like the culture around sneakers and sneaker collecting? Uh, you know, the culture around sneakers, I guess it's like a wave. It kind of depends on uh, what's going on at the moment. Um, right now, actually, with COVID, it's kind of interesting that people are still out collecting, but not physically, obviously. Uh, but there's still 8 a.m. releases happening every Saturday. Uh, there's still limited uh, edition sneakers dropping and people are still out there reselling. But it's way different. I started collecting in 2011. My first pair uh, was a pair of the Tim Duncans, uh, like an Air Max type sneaker, the really black heavy ones. Everyone will know what I'm talking about. They came out Black Friday. Um, and back then you didn't have online raffles. Uh, you didn't have tickets. You just lined up and you waited. Uh, so I've waited, you know, definitely my fair share of time uh, for a good portion of my collection. But now it's way easier. Um, the reselling apps make it much more streamlined to buy resold sneakers at cheaper prices. Uh, the Facebook groups, there's so many networks. So it's a lot that you can do to access your sneakers now where, you know, nine, 10 years ago, it was much, much harder to get your hands on the pair that you wanted. And kind of what someone offered, if someone told you they had your pair in your size, you were kind of held mercy to their price. But now it's not the same. StockX? Stock, yeah, StockX, uh, Goat, <laughs> there, there's my There's my cap on knowledge, by the way. That's all I know. <laughs> I know StockX. Well, That's yeah, all I know. I, I'm willing to bet that you got uh, some Instagram notifications or Instagram advertisements from them. They're, they're all over the place. Um, I probably have. Um, I don't. I intentionally try to not pay attention to Instagram ads just because it's like, fuck you. But yeah, <laughs> trust me, I understand. They added them to the Instagram videos now. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. So when uh, when uh, 
when you talk about um would you say like 6 a.m releases every oh no so now it's saturday at eight it's pretty much always oh, been saturday yeah at eight um they so drop 8 a.m every saturday there's a new sneaker released yeah so if you go really to uh the sneakers app snkrs which is run by Foot Locker. No, Sneakers is run by Nike. And then you can also get the Foot Locker app too. And then Adidas has their own app as well. And they have a release calendar and it'll tell you what sneaker, the color is coming out and the time. And then if you look up, then you have to do some research. You can figure out how many pairs are going to be released to each store. So you know which stores to go to or which stores to order from to have your best shot at trying to get your pair. So there's a lot that goes into like preparing for a sneaker that you want. So, but like, is every sneaker like really like that worth like, no. staying on top of? No, no. I mean, there are, you know, the, the high, high end sneakers in the sense that, you know, they'll release a retail for anywhere between 150 to 280. And when they hit resale market, they'll go up to, you know, a thousand, fifteen hundred. But uh because of so blank uh frankly violence that has happened, you know, people getting robbed, people assaulting managers at stores or like rioting and stuff like that. Um, Nike, Adidas, all those major store brands have been forced to produce more pairs to cut down on stuff like this. So a lot of pairs, mm. even though they'll still sell out opening weekend, um, there's just more pairs to go around. So there's less stress, you know, and you got to think 25 to 30% of all the pairs that are bought each weekend are bought by resellers. So those resellers are only going to make 30 to $50 in profit per pair, depending on the sneaker. Yeah. So when you, if you, if I show you a sneaker, are you able to identify it? Um, for the most part, if you want to talk about the types of sneakers that I specialize in, um, I specialize in Air Jordans, Yeezys, um, Air Maxes, um, some Adidas running shoes. Uh, but yeah, I could I could probably identify it unless it's just something really off, really out there. Like I'm really good at like pointing out if a shoe is a Nike. Like I can spot that. Easily. Yeah, <laughs> but that's kind of where it ends. Yeah, no, nah, I could probably hit you with um, the the sneaker name, the release date, the official colors. Oh, um, the release date too. Well, release month, probably year, month and year. Uh, I mean, it's, even if it's just a year, that's pretty good. So, but it sounds like you're mostly focused in the Nike world, right? You said Jordans, Air Max. Yeah, I mainly focus on Nike. Um, I've been moving my personal collection lately into Adidas running shoes because I'm just more active and it's just more practical. You know, it's not always fun to walk around in a clunky pair of Air Jordans that are meant for basketball. What is what is the advantage of an Adidas an Adidas running shoe versus a Nike running shoe? Uh, comfort wise, they're pretty much the same. Um, you kind of have to be careful depending on if you have wide feet or not. Like I have wide feet, so Adidas is a bit harder for me to buy. But because they have switched a lot of their running shoes to like knit and stitched uppers, it's way easier for me to get my feet in them. Like Nike generally runs a little bit wider than Adidas. Um, but I just choose Adidas right now, one, to even out, uh, you know, the brand recognition in my collection. And then also I just like the styles of their running shoes. You know, don't get me wrong. I love Air Maxes or a pair of Air Forces or something like that, but they have been so much more established and Adidas's uh, walking and running shoes are just kind of making this resurgence that I want to be a part of. How many shoes do you have in your collection? Um, officially, technically, like in collection boxes, uh, around ninety-five pair pairs. Um, outside of that, I probably have another fifteen to twenty pair of sneakers that I just have lying around, and then I also have um shoes like upscale shoes, like I collect uh, Ferragamo stuff like that as well, and then just other random pairs of shoes. If you in my apartment, I probably have one hundred and forty pairs of shoes altogether. So so when you say 90 something in your collection in the box that means never worn right no 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 it doesn't mean never worn but there are certain sneakers in my collection that are designated as like collection sneakers and they have um a frosted 
plastic hard shell case that they go into so after i wear them they can just slip right into the case and they're all stacked they're like clear so you can see through the front and the drop front case comes down mm. so it's just a matter of classification then like those are more high-end shoes whereas yeah. the ones you kind of just have laying around are more casual everyday shoes yeah and sometimes the high-end shoes get moved as they get worn as they get beaten and they'll become you know everyday shoes and then i'll replace them with something else but a lot get of the demoted sneakers, yeah they get, they get demoted <laughs> through use. But uh, yeah, if they're in those collection boxes, that means that they're in like 8 to 9 out of 10 condition and they're probably worth a decent amount. Mm. So do you have shoes in your collection though that they're just so sought after that you would never even think about wearing them to preserve them? Oh, uh, no. For a while, um, you know what? No, I don't have any in my collection. Uh, I'm pretty much always been a person that if I get it, I would wear it. Uh, there's a few, very few pairs of sneakers that I am like waiting for my time to buy that are, you know, pretty expensive uh, that I would never wear. Um, but outside of that, most shoes, if I get them, I'm probably going to wear them. So is your collection in the sneaker world, what, like medium, small, large? Uh, on a scale, um, I would say I'm on the medium to large end for you know average collectors, and when I say average, I don't mean uh, you know, average amount. I mean you know people who have access to more money and are able to buy more. Um, because you know yeah. you can watch documentaries and you'll see people who literally have warehouses, um, of sneakers. But if you want to talk about you know the average middle class person. Collect and also consider the fact that I've been collecting for nine and a half, ten years. Uh, yeah, I'm in the medium. I would say I'm in the, the medium size. I would imagine that these people that you speak of with the warehouses, it's probably their business to buy and resell shoes, right? They probably aren't. Yes and no. Collecting. I mean, some people are just pure collectors. Um, there's mm -hmm. a documentary on Netflix uh, called Just Sneakers, I think. Yeah, it's just called Sneakers with a colorful background. And there's one person in it and they just have a catalog book for the sneakers that they've collected and they cycle them out through the warehouse. And they're not, you know, they're not in the entertainment industry or anything. They're just wealthy and they collect sneakers. Do you think that, do you think that that's, um, I, I don't have a opinion either way, but do you think that, that, that sneakers should be worn though? Like, don't, don't you think that that's the purpose of the shoe or do you think that there are shoes that their actual purpose is just to be a, a collector designer kind of uh, art piece rather than a practical uh, uh, piece of clothing. All right. I'm going to say like 98% of shoes should be worn. Um, some okay. shoes I'll say shouldn't be worn. Like for example, the Marty McFly's by Nike every yeah. time they've only been released twice. Um, and every time they've been released, they have been auctioned for charity. So like those are sneakers that I wouldn't, where because even people who have won those auctions have then auctioned them again for charity. So those that's the type of sneaker I wouldn't wear. Um, or for example, one of the sneakers I said I wanted was uh, there's an Air Jordan 13, but it's a Ray Allen player exclusive. There's only like a couple hundred. Um, and if I ever got that, I wouldn't wear it just because they're probably never going to release it again. Nike's just so stubborn that it just wouldn't come out. Um, so, you know, but 98% of the sneakers, you know, wear, wear. They're they're meant to be on the ground. Is that a real controversial? Uh, is that a real controversial take? <laughs> uh, it depends. Are you talking to a real sneakerhead or not? I, you know, a lot of people. I feel like a lot of new sneakerheads, um, you know, sneaker collectors are just in it because of what it means for social media today and what it means for their image. Um, you know, the culture has almost become like a, you know, just a symbol for popularity in a way. But then you have people who I know, I've known people who have collected sneakers for 20, 30 years. And, you know, it's just respect the sneaker. You know, I know that I bought, I'm buying this sneaker because Jordan played in it in a playoff. I know that it's this color because of this. Or I know that this sneaker was banned because of this. Or that it was a limited edition because of a charity raffle or something like that. But at the end of the day, it's a sneaker. You know, even if I saw someone wearing Marty McFly's, I wouldn't be mad. I'm like, you bought those sneakers, you should be able to wear them. Uh I don't think I don't think that it should be that controversial of an issue on wearing sneakers or not. And and how do you differentiate sneakers from like other articles of clothing? Like what is it about sneakers? Like 
like, why aren't you into hats or pants or shoes the way you are in, or uh, sorry, not shoes, shirts, the way you uh, are into sneakers? Well, with the hats thing, my hair just doesn't fit. <laughs> um, yeah. But, but you could just collect them, man. You could yeah. just put them up and collect them. Nah, you're true. You're true, true. <laughs> um, but no, the reason I choose shoes is, in honesty, they can be preserved after they've been worn. Like, don't get me wrong. You can always clean a shirt or clean a pair of jeans, but you may get a stain on that shirt or stain on those jeans or something. But like, if you really take care of a good pair of sneakers, I have some sneakers that I've worn 40, 50 times and they look brand new because I cleaned them after I wore mm-hmm. them. And, you know, it's the fact now I've had these sneakers eight years and everyone else who has those sneakers, they didn't take care of them. So it's just the fact that sneakers can kind of be brought can be brought back to life. You know, I've seen p- pairs of sneakers destroyed and had sole replacements done by professionals and those sneakers come right back. So, you know, it's just that idea that sneakers have more durability than other articles of clothing. It's like when you see like that mangy dog in the street and then you give it a home and then all of a sudden... All its hair grows back and, and it's like a new dog again. Exactly. Exactly. Well, what do you think about what do you well then what do you think about the 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 thought that certain shoes look better dirty? Some do. Uh Air Jordan ones definitely look better dirty. I mean they look amazing when they're out of the box and they're clean, but Air Jordan ones are notoriously stiff and hard to break in. And when they do break in, they become very comfortable. And they also get the, they're the only sneaker where a crease actually looks good. Like right by the toe box. Everybody knows what I'm talking about. That slight little worn crease that Air Jordan 1s get. Um, but yeah, some sneakers do look better dirty. Uh, just because that shows that that sneaker is really meant to be used, you know? Um, and then some sneakers, you know, they're meant to look a certain way. Like when I see a basketball sneaker with scratches on it, you can't be mad. Because you get your, your sneakers get scratched up on the hardwood. So it's just, that's just the way it is. Yeah, that that shows that that shoe was used the way it was meant to be used. Exactly, exactly. If yeah. I see a hiking shoe with, without mud on it, I'm gonna be like, "Why do you have these hiking shoes?" Yeah, it's because well, I, I like to pretend that I go hiking. <laughs> I went hiking one time and I bought these shoes and never went hiking again. Exactly. That's um, you know, that kind of reminds me though. I was watching the I don't know if you've seen it. There's a documentary series with Jeff Goldblum. No, I haven't. I think I know which one you're talking about. Is it on Netflix or it's Apple on... TV? Keep going. HBO. Keep going. <laughs> Hulu. Uh, Amazon. Disney Plus. Oh, Disney Plus. Man. You were going to get there eventually. You're just going down the line. Um, True. But he, there was this one episode. It was about genes and, and, and gene culture. And... And one of the really interesting things that they talked about was that there's some people who are really into genes that believe that genes should never be washed. I've heard this. Never understood this it, but I heard well, it. Well, the, the idea is like uh, genes, you know how over time genes, they, they crease as well and the color wears and the creases and all that stuff. They believe that your genes tell a story. And so by washing them, you kind of eliminate that story. A, a gene is like an, your genes are like an archive of where you've been and what you've done. And, and if I don't, if I'm not mistaken, I think they also believe you should wear the same genes every day. That's interesting. Because they chronicle your life basically in the, in the, in the, in the gene, in the, in the indigo. <laughs> the genes are the gene to your life. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, maybe that's for them, but I personally can't get behind it. I, you know, I got to do my laundry every two weeks and my jeans are going right in there. It's just so, an excuse for being dirty. <laughs> yeah. uh, oh, no, I'm not going to call it an excuse for being dirty because don't get me wrong. I'll wear a pair of jeans a couple of times before I wash them. It's denim. Yeah. But uh, I'm only kidding around. I do that, too. I, yeah. I, I think I wear jeans a couple times and then I'll, I'll do a wash. I feel like that's kind of what jeans are made for, to give you a little uh, relief when trying to pick out your pants. Yeah. What about ironing your jeans, though? I've never done that. That's 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 controversial too. Do you iron? I don't iron my jeans. No, I I, I do I do iron my sneakers though. <laughs> Once I get that crease, I just like I'm like no no no, it's gotta go. It's gotta go. You know, people yeah. do it. People I've seen people steam creases out, like for like press creases out. It's crazy what people go to restore a sneaker. See, I, I like sneakers in like a casual sense. Like I'm not into release dates or I'm not, I don't keep up. Obviously, as you could tell from this conversation, I know very little about like the actual 
shoe, but I, I like sneakers. Sneakers are my my footwear of choice, but I don't like, I'm not into it the way you're into it, but, and I do have several pairs of sneakers, but I always find myself kind of wearing the same ones over and over again, yep. just cause they've become my go-to and they're just easy. I don't even have to undo the laces anymore to put them on. And I just kind of run those into the ground. And then I have all these others ones that look almost new in my closet. Do you no, find yourself doing that? Yeah. So I have, I always have like a cheap pair of running shoes um, around that I just run into the ground like all the time. And I've done that. I have like four pairs of sneakers right now that I just have been cycling through that are all run into the ground. Um, but, you know, it's nice because then it lets me have my other sneakers for, you know, nice occasions and stuff like that. Like when someone invites me to their birthday or something like that, I'm like, hey, you got a theme for your birthday? I've got a sneaker to match that theme, surprisingly. Yeah. Um, you got like sneakers with clowns and stuff for children's birthdays? Well, you know, I'm I'm talking <laughs> color wise. We're oh, okay. sticking, sticking to color schemes. Let me be more specific. Uh but yeah, no, I definitely, I always have my beaters. And they're always the best shoes, you know? They're always the ones that are comfortable, like you said. They're worn in, they fit you just right, and then when you're in a rush, they're always right there. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, that's, that's how I am. Like, I, even, I don't even have them in my closet. I have them at my door. Exactly. Because I know, they're like, they're like slippers. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Um, Changing topics a little bit, um, a, a, a while ago, you had also told me about how you were interested in, in, in doing, you had some documentary ideas. Yeah. Um, is that still something that's that you're considering uh, uh, trying at some point? Yeah, it's definitely something that I still plan on doing. I'm not really sure what type of documentary I want to do now. I know we had uh, discussed some ideas before. Um if anything, I definitely want to do something on Harlem just because that's my home and that's where I'm from. Um, but I'd also like to do something on sneakers. So, like, you know, a lot of my professional activity deals with museums and information science and stuff like that. So to be able to intersect my skills, you know, with videography, um, with history to create it, uh, a grassroots documentary on sneakers would be so epic. And I've had chances to, like, reach out um, to the first woman who curated an exhibit on sneaker exhibits. I'm forgetting her name at the moment. She has a great catalog, like an official museum catalog that shows you the history of each sneaker. And it's like really, really top notch uh, academic material. So my documentary work, I kind of want to intersect with my interests, but also with my professional skill sets. Yeah. And I mean, it sounds like you're also cultivating a lot that you need in order to make the documentary, right? I mean, you, you have the subject matter, I guess you got to figure out exactly what the story is you want to tell, but, but you're interested in, in, in videography and you have some experience in that you're, you're, you're building up your experience in the music. You can even do the music for your own documentary. So I think that's really cool. Like you're almost kind of like putting the pieces together to, to build the puzzle. Well, yeah, I'm trying to be self-sustaining with this, not yeah. Because I don't want to include others because you always want to have someone in the creative process. Uh, but really part of the reason that I called myself an explorer is that when I work on these interdisciplinary projects, I want to be able to speak to my coworkers in their technical language. You know, like I don't want to go sit down with a music producer to score on my documentary and not be able to tell him that I want something pitch corrected or that I want something to be in double time. You know, I want to speak his language so he knows what I want from him. Yeah, that's a, that's a big benefit, and I think that that's something. Um, I think so. That's something everybody should uh, should have that mentality when you're working, especially in the in the film world, whether it's documentaries or narratives. It, you deal with so many different people that are working on so many different things. Like just because, yeah, I'm a director, but I also want to be able to communicate with cinematography and the camera department effectively and efficiently, and then I also want to be able to communicate with the with the with the music composer effectively and efficiently and so on because there's so much uh, there's so much other aspects that kind of culminate together to to make the final product exactly especially because I'd like to be in a leadership position like you said like I would like to direct the documentary or I'd like to be you know an EP or something like that in terms of having it produced and in order to be a leader you know you have to speak the language of the people you're working with so I just think it's so important you know, to have respect for the disciplines around you. Cause you know, it takes all of us to make any one thing happen. 
Yeah, definitely. And I told you, like, if you ever get that off the ground, I'd like to, you know, be involved in any way possible. Um, unless you are, in fact, trying to just push everybody out by like, <laughs> learning all the skills beforehand. <laughs> no, but even if it's just to route. kick around ideas, you know what I mean? Like, I, I love that. Evan and I, we value the brainstorming process to such an incredible degree because we just feel like there's so many ideas that have come about because we're just talking and just bu- sometimes it's just bullshitting. But every now yeah. and then we'll say something that, that sparks something. Yeah, it just lights an idea under you and you're like, yeah, we can make that yeah. happen. That's realistic. It's and I do reach. this thing, I do this thing that gets on Evan's at nerves um, <laughs> where I, uh, I'll like make up scenarios and I'd say, well, what would you do if this happened? And it's like some <laughs> absurd thing, like ridiculous thing that would never happen. But every now and then I say something so stupid that it kind of launches <laughs> another thought and eventually it gets to something that we actually end up using. That's true. Yeah. That's true, true. but he still gets mad. (laughs) He still goes, that would never happen. Yeah, Evan's not much for the hypothetical, I don't think. I love Brainstorming, yes. My whole life is hypotheticals, man. (laughs) I tell him that too. It's like, dude, we're we're making movies. It's all fake. (laughs) Yeah, it's all a thought thought experiment. Yeah, it's it's all bullshit. All of it. Oh, man, that's funny. Um, But I was going somewhere with that. Oh yeah, yeah, the, the brainstorming process, um, and and um, there's just so much that that has that has come about from that process, and it's just so beneficial. Like we talk about things that I know for a fact I wouldn't have come up with on my own if it wasn't for just that conversation and going back and forth, and and the whole idea of of bad ideas leading to good ideas. I also believe in that. There's there's many times where where we're talking with, with, I'm talking with Evan and, and he says some, he's about to say something and then he goes, actually, you know what, forget it. And I insist that he tell me. It's like, it doesn't yeah. matter if it's bad. Just tell me because that might make It'd me say something that's better and then you'll say something that's better than that and then I'll say something that's better than that and it'll go back and forth and we'll get somewhere. Yeah. You know? It's um, true. That's why like I hate questions like, oh, well, who came up with that idea? It's like, I mean, what do you want? Who said it? It doesn't matter who said it. Who the whole structure, the, the whole the whole experience created that. Exactly. You know? And even if the bad idea doesn't work, it's now not something that you have to reconsider. You can now move on to another part of your thought experiment. You can now move on to another possibility. Yeah, or you can hold it over the other person's head. And it's like, hey, remember when you suggested giant cockroaches? <laughs> <laughs> you mean it was wasn't initially a praying mantis? Oh, uh, that, I mean, it was always a prank mantis. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that, that wasn't a reference to that, actually. Yeah, but yeah, it was always a prank mantis. Okay. That, that's a reference to um, our film, The Crumbling. We have a, a scene with a prank mantis. Yeah. Shot at my apartment. <laughs> You're also going to come help out on our next short film that we're doing um, in, in uh, well, we were supposed to have done it already in April. Yeah. Um. And you were also going to, your role was to be kind of behind, besides doing some behind the scenes, you were also going to do some uh, audio recording for us as well. Yeah, um, yeah. How are you feeling about that? Excited to do the audio work. Um, yeah. Just having the opportunity to work on the audio and that one, one of those scenes in the crumbling uh, was just really cool. Um, it's hard being the boomstick guy, but it's well worth it when you see <laughs> the audio come out, if it comes out right. You know, if the tunnels oh, work man. with you. Um, it's hard doing the boomstick, man. Uh, yeah. the, the the boom mic. I, I I've done it, and I am in no shape to be holding that thing up <laughs> for as long as you need to, man. It's really hard. Yeah, never look down really on the guy hard. holding the boomstick. I have a lot of respect for them. Oh yeah, I mean, there's there's techniques and stuff that you can do, and like ways to hold it that'll alleviate some of the strain. But that shows but, how hard it is that you have to have yeah, techniques. Yeah, it's, 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 I feel like it'd be easier if you were actually like doing um, like exercises with it. Yeah. Rather than just Some holding shoulder it shoulder presses. Oh, man. I got a new puppy and she's driving me crazy. So if anyone has ever uh, had to deal with that, you know the pain I'm going through right now. And I'm also going say, back to work soon. I thought you were going to say, uh, oh, if anybody's interested, <laughs> she's going to say, oh. No, no, no. She's a sweetheart. She's uh, just a little too attached. If I step out of the room, she's losing her mind. I could hear her yeah. whining right now in the other room. How how long have you had her for? 
Uh, let's see. I got her June twenty first, so ten days actually. Oh, super new. Yeah, super super new. Yeah, she. I mean, and how old is she? Four months. She's a chocolate lab, possibly pit mix. So she's gonna be pretty big. Well, I mean, you're a big guy, so I, I can't see you walking around with like a, a little teacup uh, poodle, Yorkie, or a yeah <laughs> teacup. <laughs> yeah, no, not for me. I needed a dog with some size. Yeah. So what? what so what's what's? How's it been adjusting to that? Uh, you know, she's a lot. She gets me up bright and early in the morning. She needs her exercise, um, and she is you know, very interested in anything and everything that she smells and hears. So I have to be very attentive to her and make sure that she doesn't eat anything she's not supposed to. But it's fulfilling to see that, you know, she recognizes me. I'm training her. She's really smart. Um, I can teach her a new command in about a day, and then we just have to keep practicing uh, and keep the repetition going. But yeah, no, it's fulfilling. It's fulfilling to, you know, have a pet and have them rely on you and just give you, you know, love in return for you caring for them. I mean, I think it's good for, uh, like psychologically it's good for you, right? Like that's what, that's what I hear, right? To have, you have like a little cheerleader around all the time. Yeah. She's always happy. She's never sad when she's with me, but it also, yeah, it gives you a sense of purpose. Like, you know, on days when it's hard to get out of bed, um, you're like, Oh, I got to take her for a walk. And you know, you take her outside and she's just happy to be outside and it makes you happy. It cheers you up. You know, it's definitely good to always, you know, it's like having a friend around all the time. How long did it take you to decide to get the dog? Uh, I always knew that I wanted a dog, but I realized, you know, I was like, I'm financially stable. I'm home and have the time to train her, which did not actually happen because I just got called back to work. Um, but I was like, yeah, I'm financially stable and, you know, I can take care of her. I have the time. So I, you know, it was a, maybe a week or two to actually decide that I was going to do this for real. And then maybe another week to go through the adoption agency, get the paperwork, get the paperwork for my building, filled out so much paperwork. What'd you go through? Uh, like a rescue or a breeder? What was it? I used a uh, bark rescue. They, um, mm -hmm. B A R R K. If anyone's interested, they always have adorable dogs. Um, but they don't have a shelter all their dogs are in foster homes, which is something that I really like. So it means that all the dogs are getting personal care before they come to you. And they're kind of like not individualized, but they're kind of used to like having human attention. And it's not just like when they're in a kennel competing with other dogs. Um, so it really helps with their aggression too in younger right. ages. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm assuming those kennel dogs, um, they have to, they learn to fight, you know, yeah, and they just they just become yeah. more defensive of their food and like you have to keep them on stricter schedules because you have them eating at separate times from other dogs. So they're just uh, way more sensitive whereas you know, you know a foster dog is getting the personalized care that they need. So it makes the transition when you adopt a lot easier. Hmm. What are you going to do now that you go back to work though? You're just going to leave her alone? Uh no, not yet. She's still too young and she hasn't been trained to be alone yet. Um, and then hopefully over time, I'll be able to train her to stay longer time, longer hours by herself. Okay. It's, yeah, slowly, eventually she'll get there. Are yeah. you going to train her to be like a, a guard dog at all? Oh, no, no, no. Um, no. definitely for exercise. Uh, we're going to work a lot on off the leash training. Um, especially because she's so smart. Like I got really, really lucky. I got a puppy who like doesn't destroy my apartment and like doesn't go to the bathroom all over my apartment and learns commands pretty easily. So my goal is to kind of like really have her well-trained to be off the leash, have her well-trained for when she's walking with other people. Um, you know, I just want her to be, to be good. Yeah. I, I am really impressed when I see those people walking on the street and their dog is not on a leash and just walks next to them. Well, yeah, that, gonna, that's is, my goal. Do you want to be one of those people? Yeah. Yeah. She's getting there. She's getting there. Even now, I can take her off the leash. And if we're in my complex and stuff, she won't go more than three or four feet away from me. Um, yeah, she's too attached is, uh, to you. When she gets older, she might get a little more brave, though. Yeah, I know. <laughs> when <laughs> yeah. she gets a little bit bigger, yeah. she'll get more brave. Yeah, when she realizes she can fuck somebody up if she wants to, no, she seriously. might be like, you know what? I'll go. I'll go. I'll go out it's, on my own. <laughs> it's funny, too, because she sees other labs and stuff. And I guess she knows that she's just like them, but she's not as big as them yet. 
And so she's yeah. like trying to compete with these other dogs. I'm like, you need to stop. You have six more months before you're the same size. Oh man, is it really six months? They like, grow fast. Dogs, like within huh? a year, they hit uh, just about their full size. I mean, they'll still have some like muscle tone to gain. You know, like they'll fill yeah. out a little bit, but in terms of like their height and length, about a year. So she has about eight months of growing left. Humans suck, man. It oh, takes yeah. us forever. It oh, takes yeah. us forever. We're liabilities our whole lives. <laughs> yeah. It's like you see those those animal documentaries, like giraffes. Like they give birth standing. The thing falls like 20 feet, just gets up and runs away. Exactly. Goes all, for we come out screaming. We don't know how to do anything. And we just sit there for two years first. And then we crawl around. Yeah. <laughs> Can't even walk. You know, I guess it's different. We're more advanced, as so they say. Yeah. A lot that we're doing with our advancement, right? Uh, I don't know. Are we still advancing? I feel like we've hit a pretty solid wall <laughs> this past year. Yeah, too. you think so? Yeah, you know, I'm not feeling too great. I mean, look at how the Cybertruck went. He said the glass was unbreakable and then he <laughs> threw a rock at it and it shattered it. <laughs> That was that was the first seal broken for the apocalypse. That exactly. glass broke, and that was it. It was the only thing holding us back. The, from, the, the glass end. on the Cybertruck was the only thing holding us it. back, man. Elon, we gave you one God task. damn it, Elon. <laughs> Can we get that trending? God damn it, Elon. Every That's time hilarious. he does something, he named his kid. God damn it, Elon. Um, you know, they, um, they, ex I, he explained, I believe what happened with that glass. Cause I think they hit it with the sledgehammer first on the door Oh. Uh, and okay. that door ruined the integrity of the glass. And then when they hit the glass with the, with the steel ball, what was the steel ball that they threw at it? A ball, a hard rock, something. Yeah. Whatever it was. It, that's that just decimated the glass, but it didn't break. Interesting. Yeah, well, I mean, but that was that the, was the first seal. But he said he wanted to use it as an army truck. So if you can just compromise the integrity of the glass by hitting the door, if somebody shoots a rocket at it, as long as the enemy only has one weapon, <laughs> if they got two weapons, forget it. You can't <laughs> talk about a conditional man. Damn, I would yeah. want to be in that it's situation. Like if, if, if you're using the cyber truck for war and you see the enemy coming at you with a rock and a sledgehammer, you just say, hey, hold on, time out, hold on, wait a second, Pull we didn't agree to this. <laughs> yeah. Hold on, you gotta drop one of those. Come uh, on, Excuse this is me, not the fair. Geneva Accord says one at a time? <laughs> yes! Excuse me, terrorist, you're violating the Geneva Convention. How dare you? Oh, what man. are we, giraffes? We're humans, we're supposed to be evolved. You don't see me falling out of your ass, do you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hitting the ground from 20 feet. Oh man, that's that. That's it. That's it. Anyway, man, um, it was awesome having you on. Thank you for having me. I love coming. Yeah, man. I I hope to, I hope you come on again, and and uh, maybe next time we can get Evan and John to come on as well. All four of us. Awesome. I would love that. I don't know if you've heard past episodes, but Evan and and John have been on at the same time, and we've had a lot of fun talking all all, all of us together. Oh yeah, I've watched almost all the episodes so far. Um. Okay, man. Great. Um. Any anything else you want to add? Uh, no. I'm good. Just happy to be here and hope that uh I can be back one day. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> one day. If we're still here, yeah. let's let's get through 2020. <laughs> we still got six more months. Who knows what the fuck's gonna happen? Next. I mean, truly, we Elon saw the... Musk might break another piece of glass. Listen, did you see that swine flu thing happening now? No. We need two What's pandemics at once. Oh, they said that there's a new swine flu coming out of Asia or something like that. And that now they're doing the testing to make sure that it doesn't become the second pandemic this year. Oh, great. That's exactly what we need. Just another <laughs> another pandemic. Just another one, you know. Just two. It's I'm cool. not giving up bacon, okay? <laughs> I'm just coming out here and I'm saying I'm not giving up bacon. I'm it's not, not going to happen. Either. And don't tell me turkey bacon is an option. Yeah. I mean, turkey bacon's fine, but it's not its not bacon. a substitute for regular bacon. It's not a substitute. It's not. All right. So uh, please follow us at Spinning Real Films um, on Instagram, Spinning Real F on Twitter, and uh, email us at spinningrealfilms at gmail.com. That's R-E-A-L for real. Spinning R-E-A-L films. Because, you know, just to make it complicated. 
And most importantly, join the cult. Nothing seen, all has changed, nothing seen, all remains ashes, it's tragic. We're in the dark age, full of rage that's on cage, released off the page, knocking at our front door. The rain days here to stay, drowning the sun's rays, the world's a corpse of decay. Hate and lust, thugs and sluts, we're all nuts, the door's shut. Open-minded in speech, our environment cuts, our surroundings thorny, we pay when we bleed up. A thick smoke is preventing my eyes from seeing, stepping out where remains, hearing voices around screaming. Twins dropping, but just a sample now, picture this, picture kids. Laying there, staring at the island. Picture 9/11, but nothing left standing. Picture no sunshine. Picture it always raining. No more laughs filling the background of kids playing. No pure silence for once. Finally portraying. Existing.